Hello again. How are you guys doing? For I mean, I think for almost everyone, it's like summertime. And the living is easy. And the living is easy. So is your living easy this week? The living isn't easy for us. Jesus Christ. I've had a little accident. A little accident. You had a big, as what we in our house when we were toilet training would call a big axa. <laughs> <laughs> we call it a big axa. And it's not that you shit your pants or pissed the bed. What did you do? I rode a bike into a lamppost. Mm-hmm. Knuckle first. Oh, honey. And I have fractured my hand. Mm-hmm. My hand is, is now in a cast. And you were just brilliant yep. for the first few hours. You were so caring. You came to A&E with me. By the time we got back from A&E, I think you'd had enough. Yeah, but just keep this friendly. I've got a question to ask you that I've been saving for the podcast. Can't wait. When were you seething the most? Was it yesterday when I asked you to help me cut up some broccoli for our son's dinner? Sure. Or was it the other day when I asked you to cut my toenails and, and then chastised you for not being gentle enough? Oh, so that's really, really interesting. I wasn't seething at all about the toenails. I I did feel bad for hurting you and your toenails looked really unwell. So that I didn't, I wasn't angry at all. And with the broccoli, it was like, um, I got into a mood about it. Like, I'm not a piece of shit. Well, in sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. Hey, should we say who our guest is? Yes, it's kind of wild. We're getting in fucking early with this. Mm. I didn't need to say fucking on that. And that's not me responding to the hate mail of the week. <laughs> we won't get into it too much, but I, it truly made me feel like, oh, good. Word must be getting out about the pod. Um, our guest this week is Sarah Phelps, who is the writer, creator, the executive producer of The Sixth Commandment. Now, plenty of people will know exactly what I'm talking about. And I also think we're getting in so early with this shit that plenty of people won't. It's the thing that all of the cool kids have started talking about this week. And what was so surprising to me is we sort of have this attitude, oh, no one sits down to watch whatever's on the TV at nine o'clock of an evening. Everybody's watching stuff on streaming. Mm -hmm. But the day this was on TV, social media was full of it. So television, broadcast television is still capable of creating those moments. Yeah, it just has to be good. And we should also say it's just four episodes. So that's all you're going to get. But you're going to savor those four hours of your life like a Hawaiian. So anyway, we we reached out and um, we're going to talk to Sarah Phelps later. Quick watches. Now, now we went out for dinner with some friends the other night who have impeccable taste. And they said, are you watching Hijack? And actually, I was vaguely aware of it, that there is a thing with Idris Elba called Hijack. And oh. to me, that just seemed like it had been invented by an algorithm. And I'd completely discounted it. But it is so watchable. I've watched one episode and I stopped there because I thought this will be a fun thing for the both of us to watch. Okay, that's interesting. It's the story of a flight being hijacked. I am less triggered by um, crashes and hijacks and more triggered by delays. Being stuck on a delayed flight, I would rather die. No, I, I, I'm not a, a, a mystic. I don't even want to say that I'd rather die than be stuck on an airplane. <laughs> Jesus, if you're listening and somehow you're real, like ghosts, I'm learning. I don't want to die. I was just trying to be funny and I value my life. I know that Bible stories weren't part of your childhood, but f- from what little you know about Jesus Christ, do you get the impression that he would hear somebody say, I would rather die than be stuck in a three-hour delay and then think, Oh, would you? Well, I've got a little something up my robe for you then. Because Jesus, if Jesus is real, can hear everything all the time, always. He operates differently to the rest of us. I'm quite happy with this podcast, but there are a lot of conversations happening at the moment. I'm not sure this is the one that would pull Jesus's focus. Jesus's focus can be on everything all at once, always. It's like a multiverse. So I just want to say I've... I value my life and I don't want to die, Jesus. But but from from what? Oh, this is making me feel like I'm going to get cancer tomorrow. I don't like it. There's something going on in the back of my throat that I'm worried it's the beginning of the end. And do you think that cancer or this hypothetical plane crash would be Jesus thinking, well, I'll teach her a little lesson for making a glib remark? He moves in <laughs> mysterious ways. He moves in mysterious ways. Okay. What would be the gain for Jesus from that? Just a little bitch who doesn't appreciate her shit. Get rid of her. Comeuppance. Comeuppance for that little bitch. Venge- vengeful. 
a vengeful lord. I think that's more the Old Testament god. I think he mellowed a bit I hope in the so. reboot. I hope so. Okay. okay. All right, my quick watch this week, number one, was Fleischman is in Trouble. This was based on a book written by Taffy, I think it's pronounced Brodeser Ackner. Did I sound like a professional newsreader when I attempted that? <laughs> Had you and, read the book? Yes, you bought me the book, actually. Yes, of course So I actually, did, yeah. I would just like to recommend to people that they do buy that book, Fleischman is in Trouble. The TV show has gotten rave reviews. I found it kind of mostly annoying. And and the lead is Jesse Eisenberg. Is that his name? He was in the Facebook film. Yeah, the Facebook film guy. Is he Fleischman? He is Fleischman. The idea basically is we meet Fleischman and we meet his ex-wife and their two children. And they're very, very rich. He's a doctor. And... She goes missing, the wife played by Claire Danes. I feel that Claire Danes' moment-by-moment acting is sort of unwatchable until the moment that that lady has to give very extreme emotion. And then I think it is some of the best acting that you've ever seen. So how often is she in top gear in the show then? She does some top gear. And how ruinous is the lower gear stuff? Medium. Okay. So I'm not watching it with you have wandered into the room and and there there is something that i find so irritating that i don't think i'd be able to watch it go on that thing is narration with the exception of ron howard in arrested development narration is never good yeah now of course i don't think that's a big generalization but 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 what i think is often it's the case that you get these books that are about inner life Mm -hmm. and that isn't in the dialogue and people sit down and think how can i bring this amazing story about emotion and psychodynamics to the screen and they can't figure it out so they just stick in plaster it with narration yeah you're 100 percent right that's that's exactly what it is and it's i just think read the book the book is a really fun read and the show felt like oh this was a successful book should we make some money out of it by making it into a tv show now, based on a recommendation in an email we received last week, which we read out on the podcast, I had a look at Reservation Dogs. Oh, you've been keeping this from me. Mm. You're such a secretive guy. Let's deal with the most important thing first. It is not an arid environment. It's not an arid environment? It is not. It's set in Oklahoma. It's rural. and Oklahoma has to be arid. That's incorrect. It rains all the time in Oklahoma. Plenty of grass. I don't think I know what arid means. If I hear the word arid, I'm thinking of a lot of dust and sand. There was a a deodorant in my youth, I think, called Arid Extra Dry. Wow, they're really going down on that name, aren't they? It's (laughs) arid and it's extra dry. There's no doubt about what they're going for there. There's one of these moments where I think of something from my youth and then you hear like a fresh pair of ears here. Like there's an animal, like a place you can buy a dog in my hometown and it's called Orphans of the Storm. And I never thought about it. I was like, oh, do you want to just go to, if like we've got Gene and should we just go to Orphans of the Storm and let him look at dogs? And then you were like, I'm sorry, where? And I was like, oh, Orphans of the Storm. I mean, it's more poetic than Batsy Dog's Home. Yeah, it is. But, but. Orphans of the Storm. With no awareness of it, because I'm just saying it like I would say your name, because it's like a thing I grew up with, Orphans of the Storm, arid extra dry. So right, grass is not an arid place. I don't know if I quite go as far as to describe it as verdant, but um, what can I tell you about it, apart from the fact that it isn't in an arid environment? So what it is, is it's, it's young people. Now, they're not irritating young people because they're kind of hapless. Okay. They they live on a reservation and they're scrabbling to get money together. They've always got a a hustle or a scheme and they're getting into an escapade. Is it funny? I think it is funny. I think like so many good things, what's funny about it is going to involve getting to know the characters a bit. And I've only seen one episode. I think you ultimately don't really like it very much. I can feel you working to be diplomatic. No, 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 no. You can't, honestly. You don't want to be the old 50-year-old white guy who's like, I don't care about these children on our reservation and you don't want to be him. I promise you it's not that. I promise you it's not that. I feel like you're saying you you like it more than you should or you've Googled the creator and he seems like a nice guy. Well, speaking of which, do you know who the co-creator is? No. Taika Waititi. Rita Ora. I can't with Taika now that I know about Rita. It sounds like he's working on so many projects. He's never home. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, that's right. Was that the crazy frog you were doing then? I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> All right. So look, I know my husband sometimes better than he knows himself, which he finds incredibly offensive. But nonetheless, I don't think you liked Reservation Dogs. No, I was intrigued. All right. I'm, I'm going to watch more. I'm going to I'm gonna give it another We're two. We're all going to see about that. <laughs>
Okay. I watched a film that came out a year ago, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage and then Pedro Pascal, who's the guy from The Last of Us. Right, and The Mandalorian. Was he also in The Mandalorian? Yeah, but he's got a helmet on almost all of the time. Well, his agent should have a word with someone about that. The idea is Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage, an actor who has all of the sort of jokes surrounding him that Nicolas Cage does. When did that happen? I have no idea. When, when did it become the assumption that we all have some kind of post-ironic relationship with Nicolas Cage? I have no clue. But it's this hyper-meta film. So it's like talking about Hollywood film tropes while doing the trope. And I spent the first half hour of it laughing out loud. Sharon Horgan comes in as his wife. You didn't know that the on-screen couple you needed to see was Sharon Horgan and Nicolas Cage. No. And it is. In the beginning, fucking funny and then there's a caper that he has to go on and then it 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 didn't stay you know i feel like when i talk about how these films and these shows need to cut themselves down i feel like this like really out of shape guy on my sofa like commenting on what the football players should be doing <laughs> but that is how i feel i feel like it would have been a spectacular film if they'd gotten it down to an hour 24 but it was an hour 46. Where was I when you watched this Nicolas Cage film? It was yesterday. I watched some of it. This is so fucking middle class mom. I got my toes done because <laughs> my feet were beastly. So I apologized to the gentleman who did my toenails and said, I'm so sorry. And I like watched part of the film. And then I came home and I watched the rest of it while you and Jean were out. Oh, glorious. I can't figure out whether you describing watching a film whilst having a pedicure is unrelatable or aspirational. <laughs> what I are think, we going for here? Yeah, I think it's unrelatable and aspirational. Okay. We want to hear your reaction to our reaction to those shows. The email address. Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcourt.com. Has Jesus ever smitten you for making a glib remark? How do you conjugate the verb smitten? To smite? Yes. I smite, you smite, he smite? He might have even smote at some stage. Maybe he smote you. Did Jesus smote you? Also on the subject of Fleischman is in trouble, have you got an example of a TV show being better than the book? Is that a thing? Let's find out. Also, have you got an example of narration being good, apart from Arrested Development? Narration that's good. Huh. All right. Oh, on Taika Waititi, has a show creator or actor's choice of real-life romantic partner ever ruined a show for you? Have you ever watched television in a more decadent fashion than whilst receiving a pedicure? And of course, what should we be watching? The email address. Fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. Now coming up, we're talking to Sarah Phelps. Unbelievable. TV writer of considerable pedigree and creator of The Sixth Commandment. I have to say, our strongest reaction to the show was just how much we loved it. Followed by How Taken Aback You Were by Timothy Spall's Dramatic Weight Loss. I, I got so disoriented because you think you can just do a quick Google on the sly while you're still paying attention to the plot being laid out. And then I was like, no, no, I'm getting very confused. And I had to press pause to do a full Google transformed by weight loss. <laughs> I feel that if we'd been watching on an old fashioned TV, like the type you grew up with, you would have tried to adjust the set. And he he, di he didn't look bad. He, he just looked unrecognizable and like an older guy, which I guess is like fair because he is. Sarah Phelps coming up later. <laughs> You did it. You dragged me in. I dragged you into The Bear. Season two of The Bear dropped in the UK. It has been out in the US for a while. I'm not clear how long, but I think a little bit of time. It's the thing everyone's talking about. It's in there with the Emmy noms. And as I said last week, I watched the first, maybe, maybe first two episodes of season one. Far too many close-ups of meat which as a vegetarian, it just doesn't sit well with me. And it's funny because then a bunch of people have said, honestly, the, the meat is not that bad on season two. It, it's that bad. It is a sensual presentation of dead animal flesh. Which is, is not for me. Which is not for you. More broadly, setting the meat thing to, to one side. Do you like the way that food is uh, presented? Do you think they do a good job of this it? This is the yes and no. Everything yes. with this show is like yes and no for me. So do I like the way it's presented? A lot of it looks like on the show Queer Eye with Anthony, like the food and wine expert, his plates of food are like dumb. <laughs> so he's like, let's like just put a dollop of hummus on the plate and then like a wedge of tomato. And you're like, what? 
That looks disgusting. I would not eat that. And I do think that sometimes it's like, are you Anthony from Queer Eye? I, I think most time you see high-end food on screen. Yeah. It looks like if you ever check into a mid-range hotel and they have a video playing on the TV when you get to your room of uh, what they serve in the restaurant. <laughs> it just looks like that to me. So I disagree. But not always. No, I know, but not always. So like sometimes it's part of what I like about the show, which it sometimes somehow just ultimately feels unbelievably watchable and well done and expensive. And and then it looks like what Auntie does on Queer Eye. <laughs> Here's my big success with it. So we watched, we've watched half of season two. And I am excited to watch that second half. I believe that if you create that feeling in someone as brilliant as I am, <laughs> you have made good television. Okay, if you're going to start taking it apart, I posit, I put it to you, my wife, that you wouldn't be feeling as generously towards this show if it were not for the face of the lead <gasps> actor. What's his name? Oh, I'm Jeremy Allen White. And you will often say like that you think, which I, I agree with this point, that like you just never need sex in a TV show or a film. It like, doesn't do anything for your plot. Is that your point? Kind of. I think unless something weird happens in the sex, it's not a plot point. It's titillation. Okay. When someone looks like Jeremy Allen White, it has to be a plot point. Or you're just sat there being like, what is the point of watching this if I'm not going to get to watch him kiss a lady? That's so sweet. A, a romantic kiss of a lady. Yeah. I want to see them embrace. No, I think I would like to watch him fuck her. <laughs> but not in a real way. Like, I don't actually want to watch him do porn because it would make me feel creepy. But, like, he's so gorgeous. Don't fucking waste that level of beauty in a show that's essentially medium. Like, don't fucking put your hi-hat on with your structure when you're being lax about some other stuff. <laughs> you gotta give me a romantic storyline, which they started to in season two, so I'm happy for that. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I... Oh, God. You know, I... Because I received hate mail today. <laughs> hurt people hurt people, so I'm sure that's a lot of what's going on. <laughs> But I'm not going to add any of these people. So I think a, the bulk of the acting is excellent. And I just think something is coming together with the make of the show that's quite good. But the, the scenes that were more uncomfortable to me is the kind of like Sydney is the the sushi. She's sort of like the second lead played by Io Idebari, who I had not heard of before. She's a stand up. That annoys me. Is that just the existence of another female stand-up annoys you? There's not room for that many of us. <laughs> Trim the field. Um, her scenes, she plays Sydney, and some of Sydney and Carm's scenes where they're like talking about food, man. Because there's not the sexual tension to like make me into a, a schoolgirl again who just wants to watch Jeremy Allen White kiss someone are really uncomfortable. Because the premise of this second series is that they're going beyond it being a sandwich shop and they're uh, aiming for the stars and they're going to open a serious restaurant that's going to get the Michelin stars. Yeah, and it's sort of like he's the accomplished chef and she's like the genius who's up and coming. and She's the raw talent. Yeah, she's the raw like she's like difficult and she's a little too big for her britches but she's a genius too and she's as passionate as Carmen and it's like some of the stuff of her like there's a scene where she's asking him what it was like when he got his Michelin stars and I wanted to put my head through a window it made me so uncomfortable but then a minute later there was a scene where I was like I want to fucking keep watching this shit so I'm all over the place with it but I'm also not racking up Emmy nominations what I want you to do is if you're a fan of the bear listen to the way they use music in this show it's like it's Dawson's Creek the way that music will be faded under scenes and then there's this other episode where Sydney is like searching for inspiration through all of, of Chicago she goes to all these iconic spots in Chicago and the flavor you get watching the show is that it is featuring like the actual general manager of a VEC or the actual sous chef at whatever, you know, whatever. A yes, VEC is the but, one place but, I know. But my problem with that is that then in the middle of it all, all of a sudden she's on the top deck of a tourist boat doing the architectural tour of Chicago. That's entirely because they want to give us some nice shots 
of her gazing wistfully whilst on a river. It is it's not, it's not. I'm all for some unrealistic TV, but I feel like it, it it thinks it's doing this like heightened realism in certain moments. Yes. So that then when you have Sid like on the architectural book tour, which is my mother's fixation, she has spent, I've been living outside of Chicago for certainly 25 years. And I would say for most of those 25 years, my mother says, when you're home, do you want to do the Chicago boat tour? <laughs> like, she's obsessed with the boat tour. Continually, she's like, do you want to go? I can get us <laughs> tickets. I have a Groupon. If you and Jeff and Jean want to do the, the the architectural boat tour. I think it's more about the fact that she can get a saving on something. In fairness to her, we finally did it. Summer of 2021, and it was spectacular. But it's back to this thing where, like, it just doesn't, just loves itself. It's like a hot guy who just like knows he's hot and then gets like a little bit less attractive because he knows how hot he is. And I'm not just saying that because of Jeremy Allen White. Oh my God. It's like I look at at at, at Jeremy Allen White's face. That's my slippy puss puss. But listen, guys, I'm sure you're not listening, but what I think doesn't matter. And I also think you're making something that that everybody basically thinks is great and good for you. I mean that. Oh, and lamb's rib hummus. That is disgusting. Like, I think shows like it's- a Succession or a Better Call Saul come along maybe once every eight or nine years. I don't expect everything to be as good as that. But it's it's the way that everything gets spoken of as if it is. It's because it's all like an industry, right, man? Like, the shit is just like the industrial complex where it's like Succession has ended and we all need to act like something is exciting. So we're all acting like the bear is exciting. And and it's, 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 it's exciting enough if you don't contextualise it like that. Yeah, but it is very fun to be in Chicago. Chicago. And if the question is whether you should watch it or not, one hundred p, one hundred p watchy watchy. Sarah gives it a ranking of a one hundred p watchy watchy. I want to make um one hundred p watchy watchy. Um, I want to make that happen as part of this podcast. Okay, is it one hundred p watchy watchy? One hundred p watchy watchy. And I would not say Fleischman is in trouble as a hundred p watchy watchy because Fleischman in, is in trouble. At best, it's a seventy p watchy watchy. Um, it's 70p watchy. <laughs> Fleischman is in trouble as 70p watchy. Mm. And I think you thought Reservation Dogs was 40% watchy. But you're not going to say yeah. that. No, I, I think it's 60p watchy. <laughs> but um, I, I don't feel like I've consumed enough of it to uh, to to come up with a good average yet. I, I need to... Isn't that open-minded of you? I need a median across four or five episodes. <laughs> All right, whatever. Well, we want to hear from you. Have we got the bear right? Hundy P. Watchy Watchy from you? No Hundy P. Watchy Watchy. Or Hundy P. Watchy 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 Watchy. That's an A+. That's you think you guys are being unfair little bitches. You know what? Can that be a thing? Who thinks we're being unfair little bitches? And please don't hate me. If I met you and you started telling me how great you thought the bear was, I would just agree with everything you were saying. Yeah. Because I, I, I want to be liked. I don't want to yuck your yum. Yeah. So just just convince us in a kind way about how this is about us and our baggage and not the actual show. I'm always open to that criticism, but come at me kindly. Our email address is? Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up, we're so excited. Sarah Phelps has agreed to talk to us about the sixth commandment. And it's that kind of thing where it's like, as a writer, everything was working against her to make this a bingeable program. Yeah. Like nothing on paper should make you go, I just want, I just, I, I, it, I don't know how she did it. Maybe she can unlock her magic for us. It's a true crime drama. And the writing is so good. There's, there's nothing sensationalized about yes. it. The, the people who lost their lives, without mm-hmm. going into too much detail, I think are treated with such respect. The word I was going to use was sensitive. But the storytelling doesn't feel at all compromised by the sensitivity. Nope. And I'm not just trying to make her like us, which is, of course, important to me, genuinely. We sound like we're sucking our dick, so we should stop with the compliments. I mean, like, I just had a bionic knee and then got sent home with a bottle of Oromorph. So I'm lying on the bed downstairs because I can't go upstairs, drinking Oromorph, taking Cody oh. and watching Selling Sunset and thinking, this is the best fucking program I have ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so interested. I'm so, so fascinated by 
Chriselle's pivot from being this sort of sweet little apple cheek dumpling into serving absolute cunt all day long. I was just like, this is amazing. Are you constipated from all the painkillers? Oh, honey. Because <laughs> I've, oh, um, I've, I've broken my hand. so and, and I'm usually very prolific of bowel, but at the moment, very bunged up. We have a very, <laughs> we have a very romantic and mysterious household. <laughs> well, I come from a big family and my brothers used to just hold me down and fasten me. And to this yeah. day, sometimes my phone will ring and it'll be one of my brothers and I'll pick it up. Oh, yeah, all right, Matt. Like, hi, Matt. And there'll be a rustling noise. And then a... <laughs> The sound of laughter and it'll click off. And my brother Ben sort of says things like, the best thing that ever happened to me was the invention of the smartphone because it means I can record my farts. And he sort of goes, you'll do my year in farts and he'll just play it to us. And it'll be like, you go from sort of like laughing to rage to being helpless, especially when it's like, we come now to April. Pour onto your hats. I had a lot of Greg's. It gets sticky. And oh, my God. So... Volatile bowels so is basically it's, my jam. It's amazing to me that your brother doesn't do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. only because it hasn't. Well, you're going to have him. to. T- you're going to have to tell him now. This is this is the way it works. You're in front. This is why we have this technology. Hey, I wanted to ask you. Well, firstly, say congratulations. Oh, gosh. But on a week like this, is everyone making a fuss of you? Are you, you like fruit baskets arriving, cupcake hampers from the BBC? Is is that what happens? No, no, not at all. I mean, it might have done once upon a time, but it doesn't anymore. I mean, if I'm really honest, I absolutely did not expect the reaction to be like this. I think that the performances are out of this world and the direction is outstanding. But when you've kind of lived with something for such a long time, any writer will say they just see all their own flaws. But So I've been overwhelmed and I'm overjoyed. But at the same time, when something like this is gaining so much traction, then you start to get sort of the kind of stories that feed off it. The Daily Mail sent their history correspondent to Maids Morton to try and sort of say, do you think this is, you know, the BBC has done the wrong thing? So even while I'm going, oh, this is fantastic, Kathy Burke and Nigella have both tweeted that they really enjoyed it, our, t- our two queens. But you're always constantly kind of braced against the thing where you're going to have to go, right, here's my research notes, here's all the compliance that I've done, especially with true crime, and such a, and such a sensitive and difficult story. But I think that's one of the things that people have responded to is the sensitivity with which that story has been told. Because I think we're all, after a decade of true crime podcasts and serialisations, I think we're all looking at the way in which people's real lives have been like exploited for plot points and, and cliffhangers. And, and there is like this discomfort with that. And I think one of the things that's so striking about this series is it doesn't feel like it has any of that to it at all. It, feel, it feels very sensitive to the, the victims and the families and communities. Well, I'm really glad about that. That was my sort of start of point. I hate when the killer the murderer becomes this kind of Mm anti-hero and the people that were hurt get minced and reduced. And I knew I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make them front and centre so that you saw their lives before this man walked into them. Yes, it's exactly that. Because with a lot of these things, you feel that we, we get to know them just enough to care about what has happened. Whereas it really feels like you're telling their story, not Ben Field's story. Well, you know, I went and spoke to Peter's brother and sister-in-law and to Anwar Martin's niece. And their story the, and the family's story has also to be told what has been done to them. I think so much of that tenderness is so baked into <laughs> the show between how you wrote and how it was directed. Um, how did you find the story in the first place? Did you, did you have an awareness of it in real time? I, I had an awareness of it at the time. Because I can remember the sort of like the headlines. And then when I was approached to say that there was these two production companies, one of which is True Vision, run by Derek Wax, who'd been taught by Peter. Um, and they had all this material and they were talking, thinking about a drama for it. Would I have a look at some of the material and then talk to them about how I would do it? So we did all of that. And I was very clear that, that for me, there was a fairy tale element to it. And it was like one of those dark stories out of Europe, you know, the grim fairy tales. And I had this image in my head of somebody in an impenetrable forest of thorns where they've been forced to place themselves because they can't reconcile their faith and their sexuality, longing 
for someone to find them. And the joy of when that person does, and then you find out who they really are. Because Ben has to be plausible because Peter and Anne both believed him. Not just Peter and Anne, loads of people believed him. Um, have I gone slightly off? No, not no, at all. Well. I, I was just, as you were talking about Ben and sort of, you know, with this fairy tale way of looking at it, I was wondering how you approached making him so three-dimensional, but also not the anti-hero that you mentioned I, as a concern. I think I'd, well, the other thing about when you're doing a show like this is that you were really, yeah. really bound by some really strict disciplinary discipline rules of legal compliance. Like every episode, we'd have to do a spreadsheet to present to sort of like various legal teams to say, scene one, this is where this information comes from. This is invented, but it is invented on the basis of conversation with this person. It's invented on the basis of this thing I found in Peter's diary. It keeps you kind of honest. And it also meant that when I was writing Ben, I wrote him through the eyes of the people that he met. So when we first see Ben, we see Ben through Peter's eyes. We see why he's plausible. I'll tell you something I was surprised by. How much of an impact broadcast TV, scheduled broadcast TV can still have. Still has. Yeah. I'm honestly, I'm overwhelmed by the response that it's had. But I think it's also hit people particularly hard for lots of reasons, which is we've been through a pandemic where we've all been very lonely and very isolated and very frightened. And there's this real understanding about what it needs to long for love, to long to be seen, to long to be touched, to long to be held. It gives me hope. Which is nice once in a while. Yeah, a little bit of hope, you know. I mean, most of the time I'm such a miserable old sow, it's unbelievable. Same. Oh, yeah, truly, yeah, Sarah, Sarah. I truly am an embittered old boiner. But, you know, <laughs> but once in a while, kindred, kindred, kindred spirit. And, yeah, yeah. I, was, yeah. I was thinking as well, I think we see so much about parents and children and so much about spouses and the way that the fraternal love and not, not just the love between Peter and his brother, but his sister-in-law. I, I don't imagine that the story was told to show what an aunt and a niece can be to each other, but just to see the way that what those two women shared, you know what I mean? Or, or, or what so many people get to have with a husband or a mom or a child or all these other dynamics that get put on a pedestal as like the ultimate kind of love. Oh, God, Jet, yeah. no, it's a really, really deep connection. And and Marie and her aunt were mother and daughter mm-hmm. to, e- to each other. And I do think it's about love because, you, you know, Bedfield presented this facile, twisted version of love. Mm-hmm. But actually what I wanted to also write really strongly is that real love. Mm-hmm. Proper real love and courage, the sort that gets you driving through the night because you know something is wrong. But also, if if I were to think of someone listening to this conversation that we're having without having seen your show, I do think it would be coming across like it was a harder watch than it is because it would be like 1130 at night and we'd have one more episode and be like, I think I can do one more. Can you do one more? You're not forcing yourself to watch it. No, it wasn't hard going like that. I think it was one of the things that I was very aware of because of when I was doing my research, I mean, like you should see my research part. I, I stacked it all up once and it sort of came to just, I mean, I'm five, seven and it came to just sort of the top of my ribs, double-sided. And there's even details that I know that were never even presented in court because they, it would have meant it made it impossible for a jury to listen dispassionately to the evidence. I'm very, very aware that you've got to be really careful about how you pace it. Because an audience can become numbed, either numbed out or they can just not be able to bear to watch it. So I made lots of decisions about what it was I was going to show and what it was I was very much not going to show. And I didn't want that horrible, slightly kind of grimy excitement that people can sometimes get from hearing terrible details. Because, you you know, otherwise it was a bit like I was watching, sometimes I'm watching some true crime and... There were two things that I, I thought were extraordinary. And do you remember the case about the guy who'd he'd invented a sort of submarine? Yes. Yeah, we watched that, didn't we? Right. And there was a journalist and, and she'd been murdered in a really ghastly, horrible way. And this guy's clearly just a sort of psych- psychopath, a narcissist. There's a really good Scandinavian drama called An Investigation. Yes. And it is about the police putting together all the evidence and they never give him a name, which I thought was phenomenal. 
And the other thing which absolutely blew me away, do you remember that documentary, The Jinx? Yes. What was, what, what was that guy called? Robert, Robert, Robert Durst. And finally, he's confronted. The, the, the camera just watches him and he suddenly starts to belch. Helpless belching. And I just was really fascinated by what happens to you physically when we see your call. And that's what I wanted to do with this story. You know, the, this whole sort of like this myth of the kind of like the serial killer that you get from things like Seven, you know, that because this fucker reads, has read some Dante, that somehow they've got this deep sort of understanding and somehow they're to be admired. Oh, fuck off, you're a grubby little bastard. And is, is that reaction to being caught in a lie something that police that you've talked to have come across in interrogations? I don't know. I've never really spoken. To, I didn't really speak to the police about those particular because when they were interviewing Ben and Martin, that they were both advised by their solicitors to answer no comment. Oh, it's, inf- to it's absolutely infuriating everything. to watch that. But one of the interesting things to me was that when Ben Field was investigated, that they chose as his interviewers two women, one of whom had a very sort of strong sort of Essex London accent, and one of whom had a very strong Yorkshire accent, and that they said, lean into the accents because he's going to hate it. <sighs> Basically, because he would have been, I'm better, I should be questioned by, you know, somebody one rank above, I should only be questioned by God. Oh, you know. Man. So. There was, I mean, like it was just that thing to try and get under his skin. What kind of tolerance? You made your comment already about your enjoyment of selling Sunset. Do you have a good appetite for trashy television personally? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I love selling Sunset. I will sit there quite happily and binge 10 hours and go, I've never seen such bad eyebrow laminations in my life. I cannot believe those shoes. How can you walk? Do I, do I smell you gearing up to ask Sarah about and just like that? Well, I was curious to know if you if you watch it. Do you partake? Did you partake? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I watch it sometimes and go, what are you doing? And just missing opportunities to do something about what it is to be a woman in your 50s, just going, okay, right, what? What now? How do I date now? How do I meet people now? How do I have sex now? My God. I mean, like, I've got to take my clothes off in front of somebody who isn't a Doctor, fuck that noise. <laughs> but then that would be me writing that and not. But is that part of the is that writing? part of the curse of doing what you do for a living? <laughs> that you're constantly watching TV, just thinking, oh, if I just could get in there and tweak it and fix it a little bit. To be honest with you, most of the TV I watch because I've been just finished watching season two of The Bear, where I'm just in awe, and I hate Susie too. I'm just in awe. Succession, just in awe, and then, then sometimes I'm watching things where I go, why don't you do this? But then that's the reason somebody else is writing it and I'm not See, because I would I, I write a different say, I want to say one of those things is not like the others. So love I hate Susie, uh, love succession, obviously. I think the bear is incredibly watchable. But if you look carefully at it, it's it's not at the same level as those other shows. Oh, but I don't think it's even trying to be. I think it's its own thing and it feels like there's a huge, crazy, chaotic sort of gang show. And yet there's a thread that runs through it, which I think is, which is about, all those people found family in that in that crazy little kitchen. Okay, but so we've been backing and forthing between the bear and the sixth commandment. Those have been like our things this week. Oh Jesus, that must have been quite the experience. Well, it, well, this is the thing: is it was quite the experience, and I felt like there. What you know, when you say this thing about found family, so the sixth commandment, which of course you wrote. I didn't feel that it was telling me what found family is. The the lightness of touch that was going on in your show, whereas I was watching the bear back to back with your show being like, I get it. I get it. Found family is a thing. Like to me, it feels like it, it hits me over the head in a way that your show did not is all I would say. As an impartial viewer. Well, well, thank you. But then again, the Christmas store and team had to deliver 10 episodes. They had to deliver four. Yes, 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 yes. But yeah, but I look at that show and I go, I'd never be able to write that. How often is that a thing for you? Like looking at something and think, oh, I I couldn't do that. Like I'd I'd aspire to be able to do that. Oh, God, loads, loads. Oh, I'll tell you another show. It it sort of sells down the mix, but I'm hoping that it'll be recognised in the Emmys and everything else. I love Better Call Saul. I thought that was phenomenal. And I really, really love Barry. I think yes. Barry is an astonishing show. There's another show called Mr. In Between. Have you watched no. it? No, no, we'll write it down. Right, Mr. In Between is on Disney, and it's an Australian show about a hitman. It's brilliant. It is laconic as fuck. 
It is black as fuck and it's funny as fuck. Okay, you're doing a very good that's, sell. That's a recommendation. Can we throw like, like some some rapid fire questions at you very quickly before yeah, for we sure, please. into your day? Do you have a preference for a week by week drop or a whole series drop? I have got no ability to regulate. And, you know, if there's a block of cheese, I'm going to eat all that cheese. I'm literally going to be sweating cheese through my eyes, but I have no <laughs> ability to regulate myself. So if it, if there's a full series drop, I, I will not rest until I have watched every single episode and then cursed myself for doing so. So I quite like that basically, you know, we're going to give you two episodes. So now you're hooked. You're hooked, aren't you? So you're going to come back. I quite like the way the streamers are sort of trying to re- reinvent the terrestrial experience. But also one of the things I really, really loved when, it, you know, Line of Duty was playing out on the BBC was that real communal experience of thinking we're all here on the edge of our seats reacting to the same thing. And I love that feeling so much. I love it. What should we, I know we should be watching The Jinx and we should be watching Mr. Inbetween. Anything else that we have to watch right now? Um, oh, hijack. hijack. Hijack, if you want a good thrill. And you want it just looking kind of wise and Neil Maskell looking absolutely deranged, then yeah, go with high tech. Right. It's cracking. Which of your contemporaries is so good that it's frustrating? Russell T. Davis. He's got this kind of warmth and openness and ability to go, whatever you think the rules are, they aren't. And I think Lucy Preble's bloody brilliant. I really, really loved I Hate Susie and I Hate Susie too. I think she's really brilliant. And who else do I... Am I infuriated by God, this is one of those questions when you go blank? Yeah. I don't know. That's going to be really embarrassing because people are going to go, well, why didn't you say me? You <laughs> why didn't you say me? You're an arsehole. Fuck you. Fuck you, Phelps. Sarah Phelps. It's so embarrassing to refer to someone as inspiring, but I think she is. I also really loved getting to glimpse inside her office. I'll tell you exactly what it was. Is it had like that that sort of lack of organization, I thought? Because she's fucking busy and she's writing all the TV that people are obsessed with. Yes. But it didn't tip over into a thing that is who you would be if we weren't together. And I know, you know, some of these creative types, like they, they live in hovels. Like they, I don't know what goes on. So it wasn't like this thing that was like too untidy that it just made me feel alienated. It was just like the, the sort of organized mess of genius. To the inbox. Let's to go. To the inbox. Hello, inbox. Hello, Sarah. Oh, no. Keep going. How have you been? Oh, well, I miss you and you don't come by. <laughs> Do you know who I'm basing this on? No. Um, It's a character in Elf. A narwhal comes up. Oh, uh, yes. Goes, Hi, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> this was the moment when we found out I'd do a very good impression of that guy. I'm the inbox and I get a sick stomach ache <laughs> when Sarah gets her hate mail. And I feel so happy when I'm full with healthy and nutritious, kind emails from people who love her. Hello. How how would the inbox feel about some feedback on the talking inbox? But how could anyone not find this adorable? Okay, this first email is from Miriam. She writes... Hi, FCNNC. I'm sick with flu at a point when I'd finished all my TV shows and didn't know what to watch next. What a... That was me, not not Miriam. What to watch next? When you're ill, it has to be the right thing. Totally. I'm now four episodes into The Righteous Gemstones and enjoying it so much. I know. For lots of reasons, but a minor one I want to mention is all the penises. Yes. Every episode, there's been a penis or multiple just shown in the regular kind of way that women's boobs used to be and are still in many shows. It feels like a good measure of progress. I remember, and I can remember exactly what happened, but there was a scene between Judy Gemstone and like a Greek sculpture's dick. And I remember thinking at the time, this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. How aware were you of this high peen count? I feel like penises are very present in the show because of Judy. Everything's fucking dick. Yeah, that fucking dick. Ooh, I see a big dick. But I don't know if like I did register that I was seeing a lot of actual dicks. But anyway, I, I respect what she's saying. I'm not, I don't think I'm quite the cock queen that the world wants me to be. Don't say that. 
What? It's going to shatter people's illusion of you. <laughs> you must carry on playing that part. Okay, I love dicks and I think about them <laughs> all the time. And I'm a size queen. And don't come at me with your regular size dick. Only come with your big dick. So yeah, that's me. Big old size queen SBZ. <laughs> Show me the big ends. All right, Miriam, thank you for that. This comes from Eva, who says, Hey, FNN, re what put the poison in? As a fellow emetophobe, this is vomit phobia, which Sarah's talked about, I watch television with my finger on the mute button in case a character throws oh, up. Funny. I was an avid watcher for many years of Come Dine With Me. I loved the strange British food, people and decor and would often watch one or two episodes a night. However, in one episode in the middle of the oh. dinner party, one of the guests ate a soft poached egg and was so overcome with disgust they ran to the bathroom and vomited. The camera followed them and stayed there filming. I didn't make it to the mute button in time oh. and watched and listened in horror whilst fumbling for the off button. I was so scarred, I have never watched another Come Dine With Me episode again. Even the thought of the show makes me feel nauseous. I mean, this is putting the poison in me just hearing her experience, because what all emetophobes know is that a vomit scenes, all vomit scenes are not created equal. And the worst thing that can happen is if it's real. So any kind of reality show would be a million times worse than like a vomit in any other kind of film, because something in you doesn't want to watch, but you do understand in your phobia that you've seen something fake versus that it was something real. I can't believe that happened to Eva. I'm so sorry for her and her trauma. All right. Our next email is from Jane, who writes, Hi, you two. Straight to the poison watch. It is threads, of course. Mm. It rightly scarred a generation of UK folk, burning hideous images into our brains, never to be removed. I was 12 when I saw it and terrified. So you know Threads. I've never heard of this. Yes, it's uh, it's, it's about um, the atomic bomb oh. falling, I, th I think, on Sheffield and then the aftermath of that. And it is really disturbing. And I was young when I saw it, but I just feel that everything in my childhood was stoking this fear of the bomb. You're still afraid of bombs, nuclear bombs. Yeah. I've, I've told you before that when I was a kid, I was so preoccupied with the four-minute warning. Honey, it's, it's a siren going off and you've got four minutes until the bomb drops and, and then everyone's going to die, right? And I'd be out walking the dog in the park and I'd be doing little calculations in my head thinking, okay, oh, I'm more Jeff. than four minutes away from home now. So if, if it does go off now, it'll just be me and the dog will die together and everyone else will die with each other. No, it's really bleak, isn't it? Oh my God, it's so bleak. I mean... I feel like we can only do the Barbie part of Barbieheimer. Barbie's one. Jane continues, 15 years later, I thought I knew better and it couldn't be that bad, so I watched it on VHS. My partner found me catatonic on the couch. He had to remove the tape and put it in a bin on the street. And not even our street. I couldn't even have threads near me. So anyway, don't watch threads. Love, Jane. Isn't it fun to think about that evening in Jane's house? That actually is fun. The conversation that led to him not only taking it to a bin on the street, <laughs> but on a different street. Yes, that's said That's good. an escalation. Good. That wasn't his opening gambit. She had to instruct him yes. on where he was going. <laughs> but he could also see that she was in such a state that it just like wasn't the right time to give any pushback yeah good job jane's partner what a trooper and this comes from steph powell who says hey fc and nc big throwback here but the first thing that came to mind was some of the scarier episodes of doctor who i know the show is meant for kids but the episode with the gas masked child saying are you my mummy are you my mummy poison me well into adulthood well this is disturbing for us because I don't watch Doctor Who. My husband does. He's gotten our child very into it. And now my son walks around all the time. Because you guys have watched that episode. Yes. And he goes to me all the time, are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? So the line, are you my mummy, is the most repeated Doctor Who line in our house. Maybe we should get him a gas mask. <laughs> just to make it more authentic. And then he can like, oh, that's what he should do on Halloween. What if you saw like a large child with a gas mask on on Halloween going... Are you my mummy? <laughs> Are you my mummy? I hope we're not triggering her all over again. Uh, Steph continues. 
Finally, the most recent series of Stranger Things completely poisoned me. It had exorcist-level horror, and I totally wasn't prepared. My partner is immune to the poison, Mm. so I felt like I had to continue. I made a rule that we were only allowed to watch it in the daytime and absolutely not before bed. I am proud to say that I watched the whole series with only mild trauma. The poison is like spicy food. Some people can handle a lot of it. Yes. And others need a lot of figurative milk stroke yogurt to get through it. I really loved that comparison. It's so true. And I just love this thing that it's like, even though we're adults, there's a thing that you might be only able to consume in the day. Or sometimes if we watch something like we would never go anything for that scary. But if I feel that maybe we're going to subject ourselves to something fucking dark there has to be enough window of time for me to then put a lot of rupaul's drag race in me or like something that that shoves all the poison back out of me the put them not the poison because poison cannot be shifted that's the whole point of the fucking poison it's just there send us yours we'll keep that going because i am enjoying those i love put the poison in but it's this week has really creeped me yeah what put the poison in what are your tv red flags and the two, Jeff, if I may say, that you mentioned that are my favorites are um, good narration or has the film ever been better than the book? So send us those alongside your thoughts on our thoughts on TV. Plus, what do you like to watch at the moment? And keep remembering we're in beta mode. The email address is fuck off at firecrutchandnormcore.com. So this week, I liked to watch The Hijack on Apple TV+. And despite what my wife would have you believe, I also quite liked to watch Reservation Dogs on Disney+. Sarah liked to read Fleischman is in Trouble in book form, but you are finding the TV show watchable as well. Look, the between likes you and does not like you, I like to watch Fleischman is in Trouble. And you like to watch The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent on Netflix. Yeah. It made you laugh. Yeah. What more can you ask for? That was an unpleasant noise. Oh, was it? I felt Yeah, I felt cat-like, which isn't how I feel in myself. We both ultimately like to watch The Bear on Disney+, Plus, despite misgivings, which are mainly about how the world is receiving it rather than the show itself. And look, and you're going to have to get back to us quick on this one. I want our big watch next week to be the second half of the second season of The Bear, but I don't think you're convinced. You think it'll be redundant for our listeners? Mm. You guys, he's always thinking about you. Do you appreciate that? You're the third person in our marriage. I mean, uh, isn't our son the third person in our marriage? Not in the Camilla sense. Oh, no. He's not your Camilla. No. <laughs> That'd be fucked. Yes. Um, we love to watch The Sixth Commandment. All episodes are available now on BBC iPlayer. And Sarah Phelps liked to watch The Bear, Disney+, Plus, Barry, HBO, Sky on Now TV in the UK, and Mr. In-Between. Very curious about that. Me too. All right, everybody. Um, thank you so much for coming for lunch. Um, do, do close the gate behind you. I don't want my dogs to escape. They all have dogs, huh? Yeah. I don't want my very wealthy dogs to escape. The accent's really slipping here. All right, just everyone just sh- shush. Shush. We'll see you next week. But don't forget about our inbox. Bye-bye. <laughs> they like to watch. 